How's your hey, week? Hey, What? Uh. That's oh. how my week was. I love you. <laughs> that was great. Elliot, please cut that out. Um, nope. Stay in it. Please. Oh, jeez, God, no. Um, my week was my week was pretty pretty good, pretty eventful. Yeah. Just What'd you do? Run, running around, prepping for for Christmas, prepping for Michael's and my anniversary next week, Happy or not not even not even next week. It'll be when we post. <laughs> so it's it'll be today. Day. It's out today. Or Yay. no, no. Our an- it's out today. Our anniversary is out today, guys. No, um, yeah. I, I got a bunch of, my agent wanted me to get a bunch of headshots done. So they were, they were doing a free session thing in LA. So now I look like a Target employee and a lawyer. Perfect. Yeah. And yeah. That's good. What about you? What'd you do this week? Um, nothing. Nothing at all. That's not true. That's what did a, I do? That's a filthy lie. You went to I Elliot's do? show. It wasn't his. But he was in it. Yes, yes, that's true. Elliot also wanted us, um, correction section real quick. Okay, go. Elliot, Elliot wanted us to let everybody know that he is not in the band that he played in that we tweeted about him playing in he is not physically in the band he just plays drums for them live and on their album but he yes. is not in the band which makes no sense to me and I, also, I don't get it either yeah and also andrew who is the front man of the band i didn't want to yes. call him the band leader because it's not a fucking marching band <laughs> but um he he responded and did not correct us so i was like well he didn't care so all right well elliot just wanted to know he was like who posted that and Haley was like not me and i just sent him the gif that's not that's not true i sent uh a gif of shaggy from the wasn't me music video. yes that's how i yes. responded to that that's what, but that's what i mean oh uh, well i guess i should have clarified yeah you sent him the gif of shaggy going it wasn't me and i sent him the gif of um what's his face from the office daryl from the office going twas a cat <laughs> yep and so elliot will never know until he listens right now that it was actually me who tweeted that yep twas do i wanna, do you want to introduce the podcast Oh, yeah, this is our podcast. It's called Crime Culture. <laughs> it's getting later and later in every episode. <laughs> it's going to be the end of the episode, and this is Crime Culture. Oh, by culture. the way. <laughs> by the way, this is Crime Culture. This was. <laughs> this, no longer. This was. Twas, twas Crime Culture. <laughs> God, I hate myself. Okay. Haley, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about, this could be hit or miss. And the reason okay. why the reason why is you've seen the uh, the title of the episode. So I haven't. Well, you haven't because we're recording it. But anyone listening will have seen the title of the episode when they click on it. So okay. I've wanted to sounds fake, but okay. I've wanted to research this episode for a really long time because it's something that really really interests me. Not that okay. I have any connection to this topic in any way. And I'm not saying that I do or anything like that. I don't want to qualify it too much because I don't want to. I don't want. I just re- don't want to qualify it too much. So we're going to okay. talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about black horror <laughs> Thank today. Thank you for that. And that is okay. uh, the actual term. Before I get yelled at, 
because... Yes, because I yelled at her. <laughs> yes. We were like, is this correct? And yes, I do want to say it is correct. I have a an entire uh, Google Doc of sources that refer to this topic as black horror. And I'll get into um, the differences. So there's actually two topics. We're going to talk about blacks in horror and black horror. So okay. um, Robin R. Coleman is the author of Horror Noir, Blacks in American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present, which is a fantastic read. Ooh. I read a bunch of excerpts from it. I'll quote a bunch of excerpts from it. Um, she states that the difference between black horror and blacks in horror, two completely different things. Blacks in horror films present black people and blackness, which is referring to black culture, history, ideologies, experiences, politics, language, humor, aesthetic, style, music, everything. So everything that makes up the culture of blackness, pretty much. Okay. Um, uh, it describes that in the context of horror, even if the film is not wholly or substantially focused on either one. And they're often products of major studios and have typically been produced by non-black filmmakers for mainstream consumption and present some of the most important images in understanding how blackness is represented. And some of these movies can be uh, King Kong from 1933, Obviously, Ooh. Night of the Living Dead, 1968, The Serpent mm, and the yeah. Rainbow from 1988, and Candyman from 1992. Yes. Oh, Candyman scared me shitless. Yeah. So all of these... What doesn't, though? Yeah. All of these <laughs> movies um, have major black characters and um, do have a commentary on race, but were uh, brought to you by mostly white producers, directors, writers. Um, So all these movies have contributed significantly to debates and discussions regarding blackness and interpretations of what is horrifying. Meanwhile, black horror films are often quote-unquote race films that have added narrative focus that calls attention to blackness. Film historian Thomas Cripps says that the films are made by black filmmakers, writers, actors, and producers for a predominantly black audience. These films cover themes that disproportionately impact the black community. Films like Blackula from 1972, Ganja and Hess from 1973, Sugar Hill in 1974, and Get Out from uh, 2017, which we'll talk about in depth later on. Would Boo a Medea Halloween count? I'm not trying to be sassy. I'm just genuinely asking. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm uh, basically just talking about, like, horror films i think that's more of a comedy but that mm, would be th- that one's well then again it was scary to me michael was sitting next to me laughing at both how bad he thought it was and how irrational he thought i was being i'm would... using air quotes for irrational i don't know if i that got would... scared yeah i don't know there if were that clowns. would qualify as a black comedy because obviously i've only researched the horror side of it but i always thought that black comedy was a comedy that was very dark yeah, that's I or dark comedy. I don't know if there's a difference. Somebody tell us if there's a difference. Yeah, obviously everything that I'm saying here is I researched as much as I could, but if I said anything that is completely wrong, we do have the correction section. So yep. let me know how it wrong is there I am. for a reason. I rather uh, have an in-depth discussion later in the next episode rather than have someone just yell at me on Twitter. Right. So. 
Getting it, back into but it. But if you're going to yell at Haley, don't yell at her on Twitter because she hardly checks Twitter. Go yeah, put her on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the black horror movies have wholly developed characters, original plots, and are cinematically beautiful. And um, there's horror films that don't need to have a black character to have a commentary on blackness itself. Towns like The Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween have little to no black families, and that kind of speaks volumes about how the 1980s portrayed blackness in film. Absolutely. So these towns were these little suburbs with just all white and they families. Were seen, uh, and they were seen as being idyllic. Yes, yeah. Which we'll get back to um, when I talk about Get Out. That's It's going to be black horror and Get Out, pretty much, because I'm going to be talking about... Um, pretty much the history of black horror and then get into um the more modern takes right so um a teacher and online editor of the website well-read black girls danica london potts gave a three-hour class for the Mississippi institute of horror studies which where do i enroll because that's yeah that's pretty that's pretty awesome yeah that's pretty awesome yeah uh her talk was called black horror the revolutionary act of subverting the white gaze and the lecture okay. traced the evolution of black representation in horror films and pointed out all the ways in which black characters are written under the white gaze, which is the default assumption that a viewer is white and that depictions of black characters are in service to white audiences, which uh, is pretty much referring to as um, what Robin Coleman had stated is blacks in horror. So uh, made by white people with a black character. And historically, black characters in horror films and many mainstream uh, like action films and stuff for that matter, they fall into three categories. Um, they could be a source of malevolence, like in I Walked mm-hmm. with the Zombie, um, the magical savior, like Whoopi Goldberg yep. and Ghost. Uh, or love her. <laughs> yes. Girl, you in danger. <laughs> or, which is probably the biggest... Oh, no, is... I said it wrong. No, Elliot, cut it out. Elliot, cut it out. No, it's Molly, you in danger, girl. It's been so long. I'm so <laughs> it's sorry. Okay. Uh, the biggest section would probably be the friend willing to sacrifice his or her life to save the others, which yeah. we'll talk about. Um, that trope actually saw a sharp spike in the 1990s and 2000s, yep. and it was likely a limp attempt at inclusivity 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 and i see what you mean because they're they're probably trying to be like see like not only are we including black people yeah this was the we're making them the heroes that's exactly it yeah you're you're still killing black people it's still it's uh, not uh, uh, no this was at the dawn of political correctness yeah like oh let's let's insert some people of color Um, Quick, 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 quick. (laughs) Quick, do it. A black character dying to save the white ones happens at least twice in later entries of two massively successful horror franchises, Alien and Friday the 13th, as well as in Event Horizon, Mimic, Resident Evil Extinction, and many others. I'll get to a list later. Okay. Uh, Potts points out that this depiction, as well as that of the magical savior, assumes that black audiences will be duped into dismissing the racist behavior by seeing the inclusion as allyship. Yeah, it's the filmmakers. Which it's prou- not. Yeah, like you said, <laughs> it's the filmmakers proudly patting themselves on the back, saying, "See, we do value black people because we know you'll die for us." Which oh, is, that makes it so much worse. Oh, yeah, that makes it that so was, much worse. That was a, and that was a quote from her uh, her lecture. 
Yeah. She's right. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm just saying it hurts to hear. Yeah, it's super fucked up. Any You could pick any uh, polarizing topic and look at the history of uh, Hollywood on that topic, and it gets so cringy the farther you go back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Potts showed some great examples of horror that allow the black experience to shift out of the white gaze so characters are able to examine identity in their own terms. And while George A. Romero has claimed that race never factored into his casting of Dwayne Jones as the lead character Ben in Night of the Living Dead, seeing a black hero successfully beat back hordes of brain-dead white guys on the big screen in 1968 was nothing short of revolutionary, and I will get to more of that later. Um, so several years later, the art house film Ganja and Hess, which also starred Dwayne Jones, was meant to be a vampire flick that would piggyback on the commercial success of Blackula, but was directed by Bill Gunn, and instead he crafted a dreamlike meditation on addiction and isolation that featured a wealthy black couple, and it received a standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival in 1973. But after being panned by white American critics, it was hastily recut and re-released under schlocky titles like Blood Couple and Black Evil. But thankfully, it has since been restored to its original version. Um, That's that's so fucking annoying. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fucked up. But um, in 1983, Michael Jackson's thriller brought black horror directly into millions of American households and advanced the... Yes, it advanced the entire genre itself. Basically, the 15-minute thriller music video was a movie. Oh, it was. It was. It was like, that was the one scary movie I could handle as a kid. I could barely handle it, let me tell you. But it was was cinematic. It was so much more than a... And I think that also was... It set the stage for future music videos. Yeah, it really raised the bar for what you could do. Yeah, nowadays, like, you can see, like... I just watched, oh God, I can't think of the name of the song. Jay-Z just put out a new music video relatively recently, within the past like month or so. Mm-hmm. And he had, I'm, I'm not going to remember any of their names, Issa Rae, Tessa Thompson, um, it, a bunch of, uh, like an all black, he basically recreated an episode of Friends with an all black cast. Oh, really? Yeah, it was amazing. I loved it so much. Ross was so much more tolerable in this one. <laughs> and it, it, they recreated the episode, for those who don't know, of um, when they're all getting ready to go to that awards thing, that Ross is getting that award, mm-hmm. and Phoebe's in that yellow dress. And oh my god, it was so fucking funny. And um, that's who else was in it. Tiffany Haddish was Phoebe, which oh, I also okay. loved. I loved Perfect. it so much. But it it was... just the entire thing it was i'd say 90 percent like just cinematic masterpiece and then 10 percent like jay-z music yeah it was but it was amazing yeah it's like what thriller was yeah the the song only lasts like what three and a half minutes I, i was gonna say it's like three and a half minutes and the entire thing is just it lays down the plot it lays down like i mean you you get like um it's like a short film it's not even yeah. a music video anymore yeah and that um uh robin coleman who wrote horror noir like i said in the beginning um she quoted in her book it quote effectively moved the horror film out of the multiplex and placed it squarely onto daytime cable television so that was like 
you couldn't get away from it. He was the biggest recording artist in the 80s, and it, it was on MTV. It was everywhere. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to get into uh, the classic horror movie trope, the black character always dies first. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> yeah. But there's actually there's a lot of information on this. So famous black comedians like Eddie Murphy and Ari Spears have had bits in their act talking about this trope. Three mm-hmm. Pete on Comedy Central has a video called The Blackening, where a group of black victims yes. argue about who was the blackest one to give up to a crazed killer. <laughs> it's so funny. You have to it's see it. It's really funny. I'll link it on the website. It's really good. Um, there's literally hundreds of essays written on this one topic. There oh, was yeah. so many articles I could have read for another month researching this. But it seems that this trope was first called out by famous movie reviewer Roger Ebert when he wrote yep. about uh, 1997's The Edge. He said, quote, At this point, we can easily predict the death of the assistant. Uh, he's African-American and so falls under the BADF action movie rule. The brother always dies first. That was yeah. an actual quote from his actual review. Well, I, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, but like many other movie tropes, it's not exactly true. In a video by Couch Tomato on YouTube, he said that he could only find 28 examples of the black character dying first in any film, not just horror. And it seems like the black man, um, the first black man to die within the first 10 minutes of a horror movie was Manton Moreland in 1967's Spider Baby. And when this movie, was this video? When did when did Couch Tomato put this out? Uh, I have to look it up. It was relatively recently because he did reference Get Out in it. All right, I want to call fucking bullshit because Scream 2 kills Omar Epps within the first, I'd say, 10 minutes. No, I'm saying the the first instance of... Oh, I thought you said the only instance, and I was like, oh, listen. The first (laughs) instance of uh, the black guy dying first was in Spider Baby. Sorry, Couch Tomato. Yeah. My bad. This movie came out just as the black exploitation era of the 1970s began, and this was a time where black people were used in films almost exclusively as gangsters and hoes and other offensive black stereotypes. Yep. Um, Once the 1980s began, black people started to get more substantial roles, but this might also be where the trope started to gain traction. There are at least nine examples of the black character being the first one to go in a horror movie during that decade, and many more later on in the film. So even if they weren't one of the first characters to die, they did end up dying in the movie. Right. And it's usually like the white heroine or like the... Yep. The nerdy the virgin. white guy. The, yeah, the person you the wouldn't... The virgin. The white person you wouldn't expect to live ends yes. up living. <clears throat> In 2013, Complex Magazine reviewed 50 horror films that featured black actors and actresses, and they found that out of the 50 horror movies considered, 10%, so 5 out of 50, of them had black characters who died first. As it turns out, black characters don't always die first in horror movies. In fact, they rarely ever die first. Their mortality rate, however, is extremely low, but at least the black characters get to hang out long enough to either crack plenty of comic relief jokes or awkwardly stand around in the background behind the bland Caucasian heroes and protagonists. That was a quote from the article. Okay. Um, Most famously uh, known for his role in Candyman, uh, Tony Todd has been featured in over 20 horror films over the course of his career, and he has died in most of them. (laughs) Yep. 
Uh, he died in Are You Scared 2, Candyman, Candyman 2, Candyman 3, The Crow, uh, Wishmaster, Night Tales, Scarecrow Slayer, The Night of the Living Dead remake. Uh, just a ton of movies. Yeah. Um, some other uh, black character tropes that were kind of thrown into movies were um, the ghetto dweller, and that would be cast as a six-foot-tall petty thug or a loud-mouthed, sassy black female that mm-hmm. is added to the cast to add to the body count, pretty much. And Scary from, movie brings that up. Yep. And yep. from the start, you know that this character is going to bite it, and they're obnoxious, stupid, and pretty much there to, quote, shuck and jive. And in oh, spite God. of... Yes. This is... I'm quoting from an article. I know, I know. It's just, it's so painful. And what's even more painful is, like, that's what studios are doing. Yeah, and they just let it. Yeah, and they just they let, just it, let happen. it happen. Um, so in spite of all that, they're intimidating and have a tough time dealing with the reality of the situation at hand. And they mistake themselves for the killer's equal. And they're usually met with horrendous deaths. But once you find out the character is gone, you realize... Um, they were just written so you didn't care about them. And like I had said before, the yeah. other is the mythic or the sacrifice. And this character is mostly played by someone elderly, but can be of any age. And they advise counsel and they know spells and potions and urban legends to share. And they mm-hmm. tend to feel so deeply for the white hero. And the mystic tends to be the sacrificial lamb of the film and usually ends up uh, dead at the film's peak. And they probably die as a result of putting their lives on the line for the white character. You feel bad for the person, uh, but you realize it was needed to further the plot. So yeah. that is like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost or yes. uh, Patricia Belcher in Jeepers Creepers, who is the, will, the mystic lady. Will not lady. watch Jeepers Creepers. Scares the shit out of me. I saw it when I was like five, maybe not five, but five-ish, older. You're seeing not- these horror movies way too young. I wasn't five. I was probably like 10, but I only watched it because Justin Long is in it. And Justin Long lived like right by my hometown. Like his hometown was like one over from my hometown. I think we said, yeah, I think we mentioned that in the, uh, I, I know I, I yelled it, it was... at you like last week. <laughs> was it last week? <laughs> yes. Cause I was like, le- cause you were trying to convince me that Fairfield wasn't his hometown. No, you and know I, I just kept of? yelling at you. Let me have this one. <laughs> you know who I was thinking of? I thought Justin Long for a second was, um, fuck. I'm afraid. I'm Who's afraid. that guy from American Pie? Jason Biggs? Yeah, he's from Jersey. That's no, why I thought he us, was. Yeah, you can fucking have Jason Biggs. <laughs> none of us will claim Jason Biggs. Fuck no, that. I they, they look similar in my memory. They look nothing alike. That's like when I was four and I used to confuse Christina Aguilera and Celine Dion. They look nothing alike. No, they don't. They don't even sound alike. You're just dumb. I was was a dumb (laughs) child, and I'm a dumb adult. (laughs) Anyway, um, one of the other... I know the difference now. One of the other tropes that I found came up a lot was the voice of reason. And they're the person that are saying, you don't want to go in there. Like, let's not split up. Yeah. And they're scared. They're you. They're scared of everything. (laughs) (laughs) They're part of a group of assholes who won't bother to listen to reason. And uh, naturally to further the plot, um, but our least, uh, but at least uh, the particular archetype displays some type of common sense and they're there 
pretty much to add to the body count again and end up dying after they have somehow defied uh, defied their own ev- um, advice. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry, I lost my mind. <laughs> Haven't we all? Anyway, you can see that in pretty much any action or horror film. There's always the one character that is the one that's like, why Why would we be doing this? And is right. the one that you're like, yeah, agreeing with. And then they bite Die. it. And then yep. it's a group of The idiots. voice of reason always goes, yep. Yeah, I believe... I, like dogs um, without horses. <laughs> yes. When I was uh, looking up the... Um, the comedy bits by Eddie Murphy and Ari Spears, both of them had bits. It's like, and you can find a thousand videos on YouTube. It was like, if black people were in white horror movies and you hear like a crackling in the woods, they'd be like, nope. <laughs> and leave. Yep. Um, and then it's over. Yeah. And then the movie's over. And then the movie's over. Um, the only. last, the last trope I found was the sidekick. And this person's not the hero, and it's more like they're just along for the ride of the whole plot. And mm-hmm. they never have as many lines as the lead character, and they uh, have more to say, but they have more to say than anyone else. And they get along great with the members of the group, but they're trying to live just like everyone else. So you'll you won't see them sacrificing themselves for anyone and the sidekick does add some gravitas to the film by allowing the hero to stand over his or her dead body and yell no to the skies yes um, just to show that the lead character cared for their token black friend yes yeah yes because all and that's not awful yeah and it's well i don't even have to say how bullshit all of these tropes are not that there's not tropes about uh any number of prejudiced group but still it's not it's bullshit yeah. yeah the fact that people sit around in a room are like yeah this is a good idea exactly that there's and that also tells you about what type of people are sitting around in that room exactly that they're able to just sit there and go oh yeah this doesn't sound at all like a bad idea yeah what could go wrong <laughs> exactly what could possibly go wrong um uh, some notable uh, horror, like black horror films are, like I said in the beginning, Night of the Living Dead, 1968. And mm-hmm. George A. Romero says that he never intended to make a statement on race with his movie. Um, but he said, quote, Dwayne Jones was the best actor we met to play Ben. If there was a film with a black actor in it, it usually had a racial theme like the Defiant Ones. Consciously, I resisted writing new dialogue because he happens to be black. We just shot the script. Perhaps Night of the Living Dead in the first was the first film to have a black man playing the lead role, regardless of rather than because of his race. Yeah. Um, actually, in further research, the first black character to star in a non-ethnic specific role was Sidney Poitier in 1965's The Bedford Incident. So he wasn't exactly right. Too. He was a couple years off. But uh, yeah, they had the entire movie written. They had um, the character of Ben that they they knew what his lines were and what his role was. And yep. they ended up just seeing Dwayne Jones. I think it was a recommendation from one of Romero's friends who was like, hey, you got to see this guy. He's great. Yeah. So they were just like, all right, well, let's not rewrite anything. And right. just go with it. 
So according to the late Carl Hardman, quote, Ben's dialogue was of a lower class, uneducated person. Dwayne Jones was a very well-educated man. He was fluent in a number of languages. He was a BA graduate of the University of Pittsburgh, and he dabbled in writing, painting, and music. He studied in Norway and Paris and was completing an MA in communications at NYU between shooting Night of the Living Dead. So he was a very well-educated man and well-rounded. So he wasn't going to say some really stupid lines. Right. So he refused. Nor should he have to. There we go. (laughs) He actually refused to do the role as written. Um, Carl Hardman said, quote, as I recall, I believe that Dwayne himself upgraded his own dialogue to reflect how he felt the character should present himself. Mm-hmm. And a look at the original script demonstrates the differences. While White Ben first arrives at the house, he says to Barbara in the original script, don't you mind the creep outside? I can handle him. There's probably going to be lots more of them. Soon they'll find about us. I'm a, out, of, I'm out of gas. Them pumps over there is locked. Is there food here? I'll get some grub. <laughs> then we beat them off. Skedaddle. I guess you putzed with the phone. That was the original script. That's so fucking painful. (laughs) Yes. Translated by Dwayne Jones, the same speech goes, don't worry about him. I can handle him. Probably be a whole lot more when they find out about us. The truck is out of gas. The pump out here is locked. Is there a key? We can can try to get out of there if we get some gas. Uh, Then he tries the phone. Suppose you tried this already. I'll see if I can find us some food. Much more tolerable and much more up to the standards of... The kind of actor he is. Exactly. Yeah. Oh God. So a large part of a large part of the point of the movie was that Ben wasn't a hero. He was just an average guy, and every man of any ethnic stripe who simply reacted to an irrational situation with a strong survival instinct and competence, though far from infallible, quite surpassed that of the five adult companions trapped in the zombie farmhouse the zombie besieged farmhouse right so he wasn't ever made out to be some superhero exactly he was just supposed to be some dude and uh they ended up heroic qualities yes (laughs) and um the ending stayed the same it wasn't going to change but it did resonate a lot more after Dwayne Jones was cast because, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie from the late 60s, Ben gets shot at the end. Like, as they're coming to save, uh, they've, like, killed all the zombies, they're coming to save anybody, he walks out of the house and, like, meets the group of of rescuers, and they shoot him, thinking that he's also a zombie. That's actually... Like, I don't like that. I don't that he has to die and everything. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that's kind of a message in and of itself, because like there was even that news story recently within like, again, the past like month. Um, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Where that guy was, I, I don't remember. There was something going on. Like there was like a gunman or something, an active shooter. And this guy single-handedly apprehended the guy. Mm-hmm. Saved he was everybody. like a Marine or something. Yeah. And the authorities came and they shot him. And he yeah. was the hero. Yep. And so I just can't help but wonder if that could have some kind of alternate meaning. Yeah. But they said they didn't change anything. 
from the True. original script. So True. it was so that, that was to go. happen if there he was we, a white guy too. That answers my question. But it, like I said, it does seem to resonate more, right, with the new casting. It's unfair. It's seen as being so like unfair. Yeah. Regardless, but now even watching it today, it's like a uh, fucking course. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next notable black horror film is Blackula, and it's the story of an African prince turned into a vampire by Count Dracula. And mm-hmm. it isn't only a seminal film in the history of African American horror; it's also important a part. It's an important part of the 1970s black exploitation era as a whole, and being one of the first and best entries into the movement. And this was in 1972, so the whole 70s were um, filled with these black exploitation films. Another one being the next film I'm going to talk about, Ganja and Hess. And mm-hmm. it's a challenging and experimental art house experience full of rambling, quote unquote, deep dialogue and dizzying visuals. And it attempts to show how, quote unquote, real vampires would live, which would be fangless, walking in the daylight, stealing blood from ba- uh, blood banks. But it does it with an artsy flair that can only be pulled off with the straight face of the 70s. And Spike Lee would prove this four decades later with an inferior remake that he actually funded fully from Kickstarter. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Spike Lee had to go to Kickstarter to fund this film. <laughs> That's, that's how much the studios didn't want this to be remade. That's so fucking annoying. Well, like, this was this was the movie. Yeah, this was the movie that um, Dwayne Jones was in after uh, Night of the Living Dead. Okay. So even with the success of Night of the Living Dead with this big actor, it was still uh, not a very well-known film, as it should have been. No, yeah. The next one I have not seen, but have to, because after reading the description of it, it sounds amazing, um, is Sugar Hill, and it's from 1974, Mm. and it's a fantastic supernatural revenge film that centers uh, Deanna Sugar Hill, the protagonist who ensures greedy, mostly white thugs get their comeuffance for killing her man. And this brand of linear storytelling is... uh, Storytelling fun is riddled with more overt notions of black power and taking down the man and um, shows it more than any other black exploitation horror film. And in the vein of Cleopatra Jones, Coffee and the other title characters of the film um, represent a by any means necessary attitude with sex appeal and style and are well entangled in the celebratory, celebratory as well as problematic politics of gender at the time. So anyway, you see it, Sugar Hill is a righteous addition into the black horror and is a standout for creating a black female heroine. Hmm. And it sounds awesome. And I want to see it. Super uh, feminist and great. I, I dare I say it? I might want to check it out. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm scared of everything. But I like I like what it's I like what it's representing. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of I mean, not a hundred percent across the board, but I don't think a lot of older horror movies are as horrifying as things now. To you. <laughs> no, to anyone. Not to me. I We're saw gonna- the OG like Bella Lugosi um what is it? It's not... I started to say vampire, but it's more... It's Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. 
I know. I'm just, I, you know what? I, anyway, um, I watched that with my dad when mm-hmm. I was like, I want to say maybe I was 13 and I was See, still. You're seeing all these movies like so young. Why are you seeing all these movies so young? isn't too young. I was like a freshman in high school. I guess. Oh, no. Then I guess I was 14. I was definitely a freshman in high school. Uh-huh. Because it was like one of the years that Halloween got canceled. So like you had nothing oh, to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. So we watched like a bunch of like vintage Halloween movies and I was scared of every single one. I was scared of the original Dracula. I was scared of the original Frankenstein, Wolfman. You don't have to. It doesn't matter. Like, you're no. just scared of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I was driving down the highway listening to a true crime paranormal podcast. And for those who who are looking for recommendations, and that's why we drink. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about... Oh, God, because I I was catching up on them and they were talking about something to do with like ghosts and the paranormal or something like that. And it was twilightish area. Like, you know what I mean? Like when the sun is mostly down. And, yeah, no, the shadow of an overpass that I was going under went across my lap and I freaked the fuck out and started screaming because I was I didn't realize that I was so like <laughs> You thought you were it. dying. No, I thought that it was a fucking ghost. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It's worse than I thought I was dying. No, it's worse. You shouldn't be doing this podcast. I I shouldn't be alive, quite frankly. <laughs> um one of the uh last two um, notable black horror films that I'm going to talk about is Candyman. Like yes. I had mentioned before, Tony Todd, he embodies, um, the most iconic black horror villain, uh, this side of black Gila and is, um, if this is a terrifying modern classic urban legend about a 19th century black man who is lynched for having sex with a white woman only to become an undead bloody Mary type figure who appears. If you say his name five times in front of a mirror. Right. Yeah. And then, obviously, uh, anytime you would see the little clip of the bees coming out of his mouth. Yeah, that was a little bit much for me. Yeah, that was a little bit much for me. And was, I remember there was like a thing to do with that too. Didn't he, I'm trying to remember, like they put like actual bees in his mouth? Yeah, they put like a liner in Tony Todd's mouth. Mm-hmm. And then put so that he wouldn't get stung, and then put the bees inside his mouth or something like that. Like I he, still he, wouldn't want to do it. He actually, but no, but that he actually did that. Well, it's from 1992. They didn't really have lots of the the budget no, I or the been ability. Like, rewrite the fucking script. No, it's got to be spooky. That that was like that amazed me though that he actually that he did that. Yeah, that like. Jesus God. Well, okay. I mean, it was also like a tight on his face, so you couldn't really like stunt double it. No, but at the same time, like again, like yeah, I guess they could have somehow movie magicked it if they really had to put it in there. But I would have been like, nope, we're cutting this scene. Like of all the scenes that we are cutting, it's going to be this one. Yeah, I guess. Like I'm, I was genuinely amazed. I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. I, I was terrified, but I was also impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously, the last movie, like I said, is Get Out. And it came out in 2017, and it still holds 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, and has an audience score of 86, and a Google score of 88, 
and the general critics' consensus was it is, quote, a funny, scary, and thought-provoking Get Out seemingly weaves its trenchant social critiques into a brilliantly effective and entertaining horror comedy thrill ride. So everyone really liked it. Yeah. Did you see it? Um, I did. Okay. What do you think first? I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was pretty scary. Okay. But I thought it was excellent and I would watch it again. It's very good. I think it's Uh, excellent. Yeah, I think Allison Williams was Oh, I fucking hated her in it. It was perfect. Yeah. I I just, I hated her so much in it. Well, I was researching uh, about the movie. Uh, She was quoted as saying, like, she took the role because after doing the Peter Pan live and playing Marnie and Girls forever, she wanted to completely, like, flip it upside down and, like, get people to be like, holy shit. Yeah, no, and she did that. She did yeah. that. Like, and she Bradley said, Whitford? Oh. Yeah. She said that she still has, um, she still had, like, people coming up to her and being like, but Rose was hypnotized, right? And she's no. like, no, absolutely not. She's just a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's just horrible. Like, yes. there's nothing good about her. She, she is a villain. She just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. No. That was also, um, that was, um, so Lakeith Staniel Stanfield, excuse me, I don't know where I'm coming up with this. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, who is Andre, the guy that goes missing, and then he's running all over the place, and he like, yeah, yeah, the flashing light and all that. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to identify him while also not giving things away for people who haven't seen it. He's he's another like great example, I think, of again, like he's he's technically the victim and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. But that he plays out so well, just the horror of it, like that one, the like the smiling with the tears coming down his face and everything too, mm-hmm. like the whole fucking thing. Like I know it's wrong that they're doing, th- but like, oh god, he did it so well. He yeah. he he was so impressive, and I just oh god that began that began like a love affair. With me and Lakeith, let me tell you, <laughs> I I I will see, I will watch everything that he is in forever, just based yeah. on that character. Uh, Get Out would be described as like quintessentially black horror because oh, absolutely, Jordan Peele and his whole team that he had, um, all of the wonderful African American actors that were in it, just. Mm-hmm made by somebody of the black community for black audiences right and, and i feel like we need to also mention daniel kalua because he's just fucking amazing yes and we i think we also mentioned black mirror yes yeah yeah we talked about him black mirror 15 million merits yes he was he's fantastic just, oh, in that as well he's so he's so fucking good and he, he has such serious eyes he's 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 just a very serious like i think person like if when he just like stares something down you yeah. get you get like there's that's what i mean when i when you when you asked me if i thought it was funny and all that other stuff that's why i didn't think it was funny because he was so like intense in yeah. the best way possible yeah um like, but oh goddamn uh some of the themes that peel wrote that are relatable almost specifically to black audiences would be something like um 
meeting the parents in an interracial relationship. Yep. So while meeting your significant other's parents can be daunting in any relationship, Peel highlights the tension felt by a person of color meeting a white family and the uncertainty and underlying paranoia of, will my race be a problem to these people? Right. And uh, I think they say, like, at the very beginning, like, on the car ride and yeah. stuff, that Rose has not told her family that she's dating a black I know, man. I don't know that it's even that late in the beginning of the film. I'm pretty sure it's, like, in the opening scene. Oh, is it really that's him saying that, like, where his he's fam- like her family doesn't know? Yeah, where he's like, they know I'm black, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh, my family doesn't care. They just want to enslave you for your body. Yeah, the, uh, um, <laughs> uh, my parents would have vo- voted for Obama, Obama for a third, a third term. term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, that, that was another, like, um, thing that was relatable to black audiences. The, the microaggressions of, yeah. like, you're trying to be so... Like I'm not racist. Let me tell you yeah. how not yeah, racist exactly. I am. Let me let me prove to you how not racist I am. Like those little things. Rather than just, just fucking like, accept that there are differences, acknowledge it, and use your privilege to make things better. Yeah, and use your time with somebody of a different uh, viewpoint as you to learn and not yeah. talk at them. <laughs> And not tell them that your dad would have fucking voted for Obama yeah. for a third let me, term. Let me prove That's to you how much I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, another um, another theme was mental health. And this is actually a common fear within the black community, particularly with black men, uh, that having a mental health issue will get, label you as crazy. And I mean, that's it's also kind of a, a concern with i mean any race i would think yeah no one wants to be labeled as crazy no um but chris must confront this fear because rose's mother is a psychiatrist and he can see that she's trying to figure him out and kind of get inside his head so it's also like he just met this person and it's a little off-putting that she's trying to like get so like dig her claws in yeah um Another thing that was very specific to black audiences was um, the fear of losing control of your body and hypnosis. And that's a very specific fear because it dates back to the slaves in Haiti. And the modern idea. Yeah, that's where the modern idea of the zombie came about. And the word was originally referred to as a body being controlled by an evil sorcerer or witch, much like in I Walked with a Zombie. Mm -hmm. And. Peel plays on this when Rose's mother attempts to hypnotize Chris into quitting smoking. Yeah, that's right. Fuck you, Catherine Keener. Yeah. She was fantastic, too. She was so Ugh. good. Like, there was nothing bad about this entire movie. Like, no. genuinely, it was Cast so perfect. well done. Yeah. Like, would, and there was, like, there was times where I was, I was looking at her, and I'm like, what the fuck else was she in? Like, the first time I saw she's, the movie, I was like, yeah. what the hell is she in? She was, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, yeah, she was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why that was the first one. I was like, okay, that, satif- that satisfied me. I don't need to know what else she's in. Yeah, that's As long all. as I know that's, that's, that's the one. Um, and then the last uh, theme would be feeling out of place. So even when Chris isn't mm. the only black person in a situation, the way that the other people of color are behaving makes him feel even more isolated. Like when Chris sees Logan, who's the only other black man at the garden party, and he tells him he feels more comfortable seeing another black guy there. And Logan doesn't seem to register this, and he speaks very 
blankly polite and his movements are stiff and his outfit is odd and he looks at chris like all of the other people at the party like he's the outsider yeah yeah and um Jordan Peele actually does this great thing where he can speak to both audiences. So he's yeah. making a black horror film, but it's drawing a white audience as much as uh, a black audience. And it successfully encapsulates the black experience by exaggerating and mystifying it. And Peele depicts aspects of the black community that are rarely talked about. And the audience understands the worries of the main character and why he's afraid of situations that are usually innocent. And the movie addresses black and white audiences simultaneously. And on the one hand, it highlights some of the harmless things white people do in in interactions with black people, like we were saying before, with the comments um, trying to be innocent. Um, They... Like, they might disturb the person who they're talking to. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the movie alerts black viewers that overthinking these comments might be causing more stress than anything else. Oh, okay. So he kind of plays, like, both hands of it. Right. And um, some of the really small touches I liked about the movie were um, when Peel overlays shots of a traditionally suburban area with a Swahili-inspired tribal song with lyrics that literally translate to listen to your ancestors, which means something like something bad is coming wrong. And, and yeah, and part of the lyrics, I was hoping you were going to bring this up because yeah. it's like it literally directly translates to something like run away, yeah. like listen to your get ancestors. Out, much. Yeah, literally yeah. all but get out. Yeah. They, they do that. He does that with Redbone, too. Did you... Yes. Find that. Yeah. 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 I was, I was reading about that too. He like very specifically picked the, uh, the music. He even said that he wanted, um, a lot of African inspired music, but he right. said that it was hard to find African music that wasn't at some point upbeat. <laughs> and he didn't <laughs> want, he didn't want it like voodoo type music, which would be a little bit darker. So, um, that's why he, he picked that, that one song and then, um, the Childish Gambino song. Yeah, which is Redbone, where yes. he literally says, "Don't close your eyes, stay woke." Yeah, like don't don't fucking like like people are creeping. Like yeah, it, be it literally aware, narrates be the careful. film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, that damn. was at the very beginning, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like yeah. they're get again like that when they're getting ready to like go to Alice and Liam's parents' house. Yes. Yep. And uh, Peel says that Get Out was inspired by movies that, quote, show us the dark side of what's seemingly perfect. Uh, specifically mentioned the idyllic and serene worlds of The Stepford Wives, which very, very close to this film. Absolutely. Um, the town of uh, the town from Halloween and The Shining, as well as um, Stephen King's misery uh, and its ability to find a villain in a very likable, relatable woman. Hmm. So that would be, I think that would be Catherine Keener and Alison Williams yeah. at that point. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I mean, up up until the point where uh, Chris is like, he like runs down the stairs and he's going to leave and he wants Rose to go with him. And then she like says that she doesn't have the keys and then she pulls the keys out. Like, yeah, yeah. You feel, you feel bad for her up, up until, until that point. You're like, yeah. oh no, she's a bitch too. Yeah, no, well, not even that. I think it's also a testament to like people are so quick to trust like the pretty white woman yeah yep like both katherine keener and allison williams mm-hmm. so oh well they're not gonna hurt me like there's i hate to say it like they're so attractive they're yeah. so they're they're 
beautiful, so they must be kind. They're not like fucking playing you like yeah, a goddamn they're not gargoyle fiddle. people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not gargoyle people. How could you play Marnie and Girls and then also? Uh, well, Marnie and scoop, Girls was fucking scoop my brain out. <laughs> don't 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 fucking talk to me about that. She was insufferable. actually her. Yeah, her character like, in this I movie totally was very close. See her. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Give girls one more season and this would have been just exactly that. Yeah, it would have been this movie. She, yes. The part where she's, like, sitting on her bed, like, drinking just milk. <laughs> and, like, just, just, like, eating. Just was, she eating was she eating cereal, like, one piece at a time? Something like that. that no, like? it was something weird it like that. So but it wasn't even, it wasn't even just that, just... Marnie was so fucking entitled and so annoying. No, I was talking about Get Out, not Girls. (laughs) Oh, because she did something weird in Girls. I can remember her, like, sitting on her bed doing something, and Lena Dunham comes in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But yeah, no, she's just awful. To go off on a complete tangent, that show is only good for season one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe halfway through season two. But anyway, um, there's actually... There was a UCLA course on uh, black horror that you would study Get Out for, like, a while. Hmm. And um, I think uh, Jordan Peele talked about on some some talk show or something that they were talking about Get Out. And he, like, snuck into the class from the back and, like, sat in the back. Oh, that's and, so cute. Yeah, and, like, they, uh, they the teacher was like, all right, like, what do you think the director was trying to say? at this point and he like raised his hand and like started talking and then like pretty much just came down and like started teaching the class i fucking love him so much (laughs) i love him so much oh that's amazing yeah we can only hope we get like another movie like i'm not going to ask for a sequel because oh you can't real hit or miss yeah like you can't can't ruin a good thing Yeah, yeah exactly i would say yeah i would say this movie doesn't need a sequel i'd say leave it oh jesus like yeah it's just it's a masterpiece it's so good honest to god like if you haven't seen it go see it i know we spoiled most of it for you rent it no i feel like because i I think it's on hbo something if you have hbo you can check that but like i think if you know enough like if you like i kind of got the gist of what was going on based on the previews yeah but there's I wish the previews hadn't ruined it for me. That's true. Previews now just get way too specific. Yes. But the, the point where, like, I was, I was like all in on this movie until the point where it flips. Um, how do I say it? Kind of supernatural and kind of like unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. part I'm talking about. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. The part where it's like, okay, this can never fucking happen. You mean, like, pretty much all of it? Like, how they're hypnotizing him so they can put his body... So we're just gonna say it then? (laughs) No, we're not gonna say it. Elliot, cut that out. (laughs) No, I'll just say it. If you haven't seen this movie, you could turn it off. But um, the part where he's in the basement and they're, like, explaining that they're gonna remove, like... His consciousness. Yeah, pretty much his brain and, like, put the white guy's brain into his body. I was like, all right. I mean, girl, we don't I mean, know what they're doing movie. at Area 51. It's a horror movie, sure. But, like, 
I was all in on just the creepy factor prior to any of that happening. That, like, they won't let him leave the house. Right. That, like, that haunted part house, was so fun. Yeah. Ugh. Creepy, like, creepy stuff in a house, like, in the middle of somewhere uh, that's, like, kind of secluded. That's, mm-hmm. like, my jam. Like, yeah. if I'm going to be scared of something, that's what I'm going to be scared of. Like, last house on the left. Yeah. Like, the strangers. That's the shit that I'm afraid of. Yep. That will actually get me scared. So, like, this was scary enough that he was in, like, an unfamiliar kind of, like, the house was kind of set back a little bit in this weird neighborhood he's never been to. And he's with this family yeah. that he doesn't really know. Like, that scared me And he's me at enough. this party with all of these random people that are, like... Talking so, about his, his genetic makeup, I think, yeah, was one yeah. of the phrases that was really creepy. Yeah, like, the whole thing yeah. was just really weird and really fucked. And yeah. Yeah, but anyway, is... I, I was I was super on board before that happened, and then I was just like, "All right." Mm-hmm. So that was my only uh, flaw. But yeah. other than that, like obviously, it was still a fantastic movie, and I loved it. But I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it was. Oh God, please go watch it. Yeah, like last week, I I really wanted to watch Waitress. This week, now I really want to watch Get Out. <laughs> Good. We'll do that then. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! Uh, so I have a lot of information that I researched for this. And like I said, if there's any flaws, don't yell at me on social media. Yell at her you on Instagram. Email. No, you can email us and yeah. have a, a real people discussion. Email us, slide into our DMs. There's also another, uh, I wanted to research like J-horror, like, um, very specific, like Japanese and Asian horror. Because it's oh. a very, very specific subgenre that's I would be really scary. In that. that sounds so, like is that like and not to be racist? Is that like the Ring type of thing? Because wasn't the yeah, Ring the, a remake? Yeah, the, the yeah. Ring is an Amer- like the Ring that we know is an Americanized a, an American version. Of, Same as the Grudge. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the Grudge. Yeah. And then there's Old Boy, which is really scary, oh, and God, a bunch like of other. <laughs> there's a bunch of like J horror that's like like really terrifying that I wanted to do kind of like a deep dive into. So if I didn't completely fuck this one up, maybe I'll do that one. Yeah. Um, but you can check out a lot of the research that I did on the website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. And all of our links to our social media is there. Don't forget we're on Spotify now. We are. We are on Spotify and Stitcher and SoundCloud and Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Yes. And we're everywhere. I think there's- there's something called like Overcast. I think we're on too. There's a couple oh, of like, okay. there's a couple of other like podcast players that we're on. So let us know what you listen to us on. Yeah, if you don't see us on your specific thing, we will harass them like we did to Spotify. Yep. And uh, wait until they put us up there. If I'm good at anything, it's bitching at people. So <laughs> let it's me pestering know. someone into something that I want. How do you think this podcast got started? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so rate, review, subscribe, all that, that yeah. fun stuff. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us know if you've got anything to add. Let us know if we got something wrong. I there already is... know people are going to come for Haley's ass because she said Sydney Poitier's last name wrong, but that's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I say everyone's <laughs> last name wrong. Yeah, so it I wasn't, it wasn't kinda, a specific that's thing. That's the theme of the podcast. 
The it only also- last name that I got right was Synthesophone, which now I can't oh, forget Jesus. because I had to say it 15 times in my it's, head to get almost, it right. It's almost like a tongue twister, that one. Yeah, Conorak Synthesophone. What a name. Like, just... R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. But, but also, yeah. goddamn. Like, that's a name that you'll never forget just based on that. Right? And I had to learn it. And yeah. I did it. Because I was like, I'm not getting this name wrong, goddammit. Nope. But also, and also, Haley knows that it's can and not canes or cans or whatever you said. I, yeah, con? I thought it was con. So it, so it, what's the word? Like, it, <laughs> I've heard different pronunciations from different film professors who I I have thought it was con because it sounded fancier. Valued. I've heard con and I've heard can, but I know the S is silent. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that film festival the point is the point a lot is, of times we know <laughs> yeah so uh review something that's not my mispronunciation of something yeah, yeah. and if there's mispronunciations you can bitch at Haley on instagram yeah yeah go for it there we go anyway problem solved um you said we had a shout out to somebody, right? We do. We have a shout out to the podcast Screen of the Crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a little message for you guys. So we're going to plug that in here at the end of this episode. But other than that, we will see you next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. Bye. Bye. Do you like true crime? Are you addicted to TV shows and movies? Do you like a good spook? Screen of the Crime is a podcast where two gals talk about some spooky true crimes, their favorite movies, TV shows, and the alternate world where they combine. Hosts Maggie and Tess combine detailed research and accurate TV knowledge to create a comedy podcast that mixes the disturbed with the enjoyable. Listen to Screen of the Crime on Spotify, Stitcher, and all your favorite podcast streaming sites.